Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. AEW reportedly taping three weeks of TV this week. More news out of the WWE headquarters, and I talk about how Randy Orton is both the best and the worst for the WWE at the moment. I'm Jaden Becker, and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. AEW reportedly taping three weeks of television this week. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer reported that AEW will be taping this Friday and Saturday. This will include the episode where Jungle Boy gets his world title shot at Kenny Omega. It has been reported that AEW will be preempted throughout the month of June due to the NBA playoffs. It has not been officially announced when all of the June Dynamite episodes will air, although this week's episode will definitely air on Friday. With AEW taping three weeks of television this week, that would take them all the way to the week of June 30th. The following week, Dynamite will be back on the road with a live show in Miami. So smart move from AEW. Not really knowing when they're going to be able to get their shows off given the NBA playoff schedule and the conflictions with TNT. uh, With the NBA playoffs being going on at the same time as uh, when AEW usually has their shows on Wednesday nights. So might as well just tape them and say, all right, plan whenever you need to. <laughs> whatever you need, whatever you got the time, we'll be there. So uh, smart move from, from AEW. And if they tape it all the way from when they know they're going to have a live crowd uh, in Miami, it's definitely going to be a different story then. And it uh, definitely should be fun. I'm not sure when the NBA playoffs exactly end. I'm sure they, they end sometime in the middle of July. As, uh, once again, the TNT conflict is always going to be a huge deal. But now they're moving over to TBS uh, at the start of 2022. So it should be fun for AEW uh, trying to weave their way through this summer and the NBA playoffs. Nick Khan and others selected to the WWE Board of Directors, along with Steve Coonan and Connor Schell. Nick Khan will act alongside Vince McMahon in making large-scale decisions for the WWE. Khan was hired as WWE's president and CRO in August of 2020. WWE HQ has been cluttered with hirings and firings, including a new senior leadership team for the WWE. That news also coming out recently as well. Nothing that should affect uh, the on-screen per se, but the outreach of the WWE as a whole when it comes down to the secondary content like documentaries, films, albums, locations reached, etc., etc. Think of it as you have your general managers, and those are kind of like the the writers, if you will, and uh, the producers. And when it comes down to Nick Khan and Connor Shell and Steve Coonan, those are sort of the president of baseball operations. They have the overall look, the overall factor, but the nitty-gritty, that really goes on with the writers and the producers. So, uh, you know, a lot going on with the WWE HQ. A ton going on. Hope that simmers down in a little bit because I don't really want to see a lot more people get fired as, as it currently stands with the WWE because it's, it's it's been going on a lot, going on a lot recently, but also a lot of hiring. So, uh, well, a lot of shifting of the cards, let's say. All right, let's get into last night's Monday Night Raw, the Memorial Day edition of Monday Night Raw. And also the debut of new play-by-play voice, Jimmy Smith. I'll talk about him at the end of this review. And uh, let's just say he did very, very, very well. Very well. Starting off the show, Miz TV. John Morrison wearing a garlic necklace and has a new dripstick. I never thought I would say dripstick on the Daily DDT podcast, but here we are. Uh, it's uh, like, you know, you go to the pool and they have the, the water gun that you push from behind. That was the dripstick. 
Uh, Miss TV introduces Charlotte Flair, and uh, she is ready to send Rhea Ripley to hell at Hell in a Cell. Rhea Ripley enters, and Flair calls back to Ripley's loss last week to Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross then enters herself and wants a title shot at whoever wins the match against Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, uh, given that she was able to technically defeat the Raw Women's Champion Rhea Ripley last week in the Beat the Clock Challenge. Uh, Flair claims that she can beat Cross in one minute. Cross slaps Flair, causing a match, and that match comes up next. Charlotte Flair versus Nikki Cross in the Beat the Clock Challenge. I believe it wasn't one minute. I believe they have had two minutes on the clock, but Nikki Cross won. So <laughs> I-, I laugh because I-, I tweeted about this last night when I was watching Raw, and I, I think I wrote exactly this. This is either a huge cross push or it's a tragic attempt to build up Flair and Rhea Ripley at Hell in a Cell. I think it's a little bit of both. I think they, they are given they're giving Nikki Cross a ton of TV time and they're giving Nikki Cross technically two wins over uh, the two that are fighting over the Raw Women's Championship at Hell in a Cell. So obviously these, if these are regular matches and not beat the clock challenge matches, uh, Nikki Cross would have lost these both of them. But as it stands, technically going based off the rules here <laughs> of, of these matches, she has won both. So deserving of a title opportunity going forward, given that she beat both. And yes, does it put both Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley on the same standard, on the same level? Yeah, but it just dropped them down like seven pegs. We we're supposed to be building up the stars that are in the match, not tearing them down. And I think you just tear them down a decent amount by having them lose two matches to Nikki Cross. Yeah, does it look great for Nikki Cross? Sure, undoubtedly. Nikki Cross looks like she could take on the world right now. But it doesn't look great for the people that, you know, that you're supposed to be selling pay-per-view buys here. And uh, <laughs> they're going to have a Hell in a Cell match. You know, this rivalry's been going on for a long time. It sort of writes itself, you know, dating back to WrestleMania 36, even prior to that, uh, where Charlotte Flair chose the NXT Championship championship is what she wanted to go after after winning the royal rumble back in 2020 so it's a very very odd to see that you have such a long-term story built already for you and now once you get towards the back end and you're finally going to finish telling the story you sort of have to throw something in the mix here that makes them look worse than they did at the start of it so very very odd if i do say so myself but good on nikki cross Good on Nikki Cross. You know, she, she found herself into the mix however she did it. She, she found her way into the mix and uh, is a caveat between the two, between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. But uh, it, at the same time, uh, it would have been nice to see at least one of them pick up the win, not both of them lose. At least we have somebody going to handle us out with the momentum. Maybe put Nikki Cross in this match, making a triple threat at this point. What are we doing? All right, moving on to our next match. Xavier Woods versus Randy Orton with Riddle. A nice goatee on Randy Orton. I'm currently a rocking a goatee myself, but his is very 19, excuse me, 1800s-esque, if you will. It's, it's very uh, villainy, villainy-esque. He looks like a, like a void uh, villain type, you know, like the, the old tag team that used to be in the WWE because his goatee isn't very... I can't even come. It's not very Stone Cold Steve Austin esque, where it was big, like a big, strong goatee. It was. It's more pencil-y. It's a more of a pencil goatee for Randy Orton, which was a uh, very, very villainy esque. Uh, that's the first thing that came to mind. Van, Randy Orton in control early on, dumping Woods onto the announce table, giving Jimmy Smith a good 3D view there, and he makes good comments on it throughout the match. Woods fights back into the match with some strong strikes, but can't get the pinfall. 
Orton connects with the bro Derek to win. An awesome callback to last week when Riddle used the RKO to pick up the win. Riddle ringside even jumps into the ring absolutely ecstatic after Randy Orton connects with the bro Derek. Even gave a good little wink to Riddle on the outside. Orton did when he set up the bro Derek on Xavier Woods. Awesome stuff there. Awesome stuff. And I'm going to be talking about Randy Orton a little bit later after the break. Reginald versus Shayna Baszler in an intergender match. A nice suit ring gear for Reginald. He had uh, suit shorts on, and they're like kind of seven seven inch shorts with uh, the knee pads that he was wearing matching the the suit jacket that he was wearing. Uh, very flippy, uh, of course, from Reginald early on until down by Shayna Baszler. Reginald. Starts to pick up the pace. Body slams Shayna Baszler. No striking from Reginald, which I noticed, which is fine. Uh, but, yeah, I guess it's all about perceptions. Because think about if they put that in a GIF. Like, what's it really going to look like? So, body slams and splashes and stuff like that from Reginald. Uh, so, he's, he does that stuff for his offense instead of anything like kicks or punches or, or any strikes like that. Uh, but, body slam from Reginald ticking off Shayna Baszler. Baszler slips out of a moonsault and locks in the Karafuda clutch. And a fireball from the ring post. Of course, distracting Shayna Baszler. Reginald rolls up Baszler to win the match. So, Reginald getting... Uh, a win over the former NXT Women's Champion, Shayna Baszler, uh, obviously heading into a feud with Alexa Bliss. We'll talk about that a little bit more later as more encounters happen at the Alexa's Playground. Lucha House Party versus Mace and T-Bar. And on commentary, they say T-Bar is 6'7". I thought that was illegal. I remember when uh, Brody Lee... Uh, left the WWE and was on uh, Talk, is, Talk is Jericho or whatever podcast Jericho was running at the time. I think he still runs. Uh, he was talking about how Vince McMahon works and uh, some of the, the quirks about Vince McMahon that make him a little bit weird. And one thing about Vince McMahon is that he doesn't like the height 6'7". He's either going to be 6'6 or 6'8". So for them to say on commentary that T-Bar is 6'7", is very surprising to me. Definitely made me write it down in my notes. So notably, that that, that saying was so notably that it made me have to take a step back. And I thought that was illegal on WWE television to be 6'7", but I guess not. T-Bar standing in at a height of 6 feet and 7 inches tall. The ring cut in half on Grand Metal Leak. Lince Dorado tries to save but fails in a double choke slam from Mace and T-Bar to pick up the win. Mace and T-Bar have been pretty hot lately, which is fine to see. I guess, you know, they get a boost after being in a, a faction and they break off and become their own tag team. And, you, you know, usually in normal pro wrestling writing, that's kind of how things work. It was just so odd at the start how everything was with Mace and T-Bar and Retribution. And now, breaking off into their own thing, I believe they could be a successful tag team because they're so big. Usually you see a big guy and a small guy or two small flippy guys. Now you see two big guys being really, really strong in the ring. And not just in girth, but also in height as well. I think they can be very successful in the WWE if booked correctly. Maybe not. I'm not saying they're going to be the greatest tag team of all time. Don't get me wrong. But I'm thinking that they could be a legitimate tag team contenders going forward. We haven't seen a, a tag team of their size and their height in quite some time. The last group that comes to mind was AOP. But other than that, uh, it's been a while. Moving on, Sheamus versus Ricochet. Sheamus challenges both Ricochet and Humberto Carrillo to go one-on-one at one after another. So, 
He said, whoever comes out first gets the first match. Ricochet comes out first. Sheamus sends Ricochet into the barricade hard. Carrillo enters, distracting Sheamus, allowing Ricochet to roll up and beat Sheamus. And I I sigh here in my notes, but let me continue. And we move on to our second match, Sheamus versus Humberto Carrillo. Sheamus dominant early on with strong strikes. Sheamus' nose is busted after a stiff strike from Carrillo. He's bleeding profusely. He even posted about it on social media after Monday Night Raw. Distraction once again allows Carrillo to get the win. WWE loves making their champions not only lose, but lose in such fashion where they lose two matches in one night. Reminder that Sheamus is the United States champion. This is panning out to be Sheamus, Ricochet, and Humberto Carrillo going at it in a triple threat match at Hell in a Cell. Well, probably not in a Hell in a Cell, but at that pay-per-view. So, they just love, 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 love making their champions look as worse as humanly possible. When comparative to AEW, they make their champions look as best as humanly possible because, well, they're your champions. They're the face of your company at the moment. They're the title holders. They're literally holding your logo, as it always seems to be in all these championship belts. But it is what it is. WWE wants to make their champions look as weak as humanly possible to sacrifice possibly a better story. But I think the better story would be making your champions look stronger, at least stronger than losing two matches in one night. As your United States champion. Very odd. Very, very odd from the WWE. But this is nothing new. We all know how this all works. Moving on to our next match. Lana and Naomi versus Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Good back and forth early on. Pin attempts from Lana. Unsuccessful. A neck breaker from the top rope for Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke to pick up the win. Natalia and Tamina ringside watching on. And uh, both teams going eye to eye. Decent match and uh, I guess I would say a normal build. Because Tamina and Natalia have been built as pretty decent champions at least early on. Not really losing matches individually or uh yeah, this is how sort of normal booking works. You have two teams go against each other. A team that comes out on top has a better opportunity at getting a title opportunity against Natalia and Tamina. And this match sort of proves it here. So, you know, good on WWE for booking in one spot correctly. Booking in one spot pretty odd. It just doesn't make much sense to me. It really, really doesn't make much sense to me how much time they just throw weirdness at the wall for us to watch, at least on Monday Night Raw, because it just makes no sense sometimes. But we swallow it for the three hours, and we, we get through. Shelton Benjamin versus Cedric Alexander. This is the rubber match between Benjamin and Alexander. A lot of weirdness going on the past two weeks. Alexander cutting a decent promo against uh, Shelton Benjamin. Alexander wins this match in 30 seconds with a thumb to the eye of Shelton Benjamin. Alexander obviously very excited for picking up the rubber match victory, but it wasn't a, a, a def- you know, it's a heel victory. So I'll take that where, where it lies. It wasn't like a definitive, oh, you know, Cedric Alexander's the greatest wrestler in the world. He just beat up on his old tag team partner uh, and won the series of, of matches. No, he won him with the thumb to the eye, making him obviously the the strong heel or the the I wouldn't call him strong heel but the pesky heel that we'll we'll probably see from him moving forward but we all know his in-ring talent is so much more than just being the pesky heel just having that thumb to the eye we all know that he's so much more than that and I can't wait to see that from him future down the line hopefully he gets a title opportunity will he probably not but uh, hopefully when he does get that time in the sun, when he does get that match against Sheamus, when he does, I mean, let's say they put the belt on Ricochet and we get to see Ricochet and Cedric Alexander again. And this time, uh, you know, both of them more matured and both of them having decent storylines to them. At least Cedric Alexander having a decent storyline to him. I don't know what Ricochet was doing for the all of 2020. But either way, 
we, we could find uh, Alexander doing something uh, special here if he gets back in a mid-card title picture. And not to diss Ricochet in any way, shape, or form. It's just late 2020 uh, throughout most of COVID. Ricochet wasn't doing much. So that's just, it was just, uh, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the, the factual truth here. AJ Styles and Omos take on Elias and Jackson Riker. This match is for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championship. AJ Styles and Omos still the champions, of course. Styles jumped at the bell by Elias, but quickly regained his footing. Riker tags himself in, who hasn't been his loyal self tonight. We saw early in the night Jackson Riker uh, talking about how he served in Iraq for a slight moment uh, with Elias, as them two uh, have uh, sort of been on the fritz lately. Uh, which was came pretty fast. I don't, I don't really remember why the, this exactly happened. I think they call back to last week with Jackson Riker running away from Omos when Elias was also being chased and also running away. So uh, it is what it is there. Styles having the ring cut in half on him. Riker goes for the tag, but Elias leaves his corner. Omos enters and kills Riker. Phenomenal forearm from Styles to retain the WWE Raw Tag Team Championships. Elias backstage says Riker has become unhinged and does no longer wants to be tag team partners or even be related with uh, Jackson Riker in this situation. We haven't heard any further word from Jackson Riker in that regard. But Elias breaking away from Riker there. A little odd odd to do it on Memorial Day. And if, if there are any real ties there to the military. But uh, I just thought this happened a little bit too fast for me. Elias sourcing something that happened last week. It wasn't like they had a month build for it. Uh, even though it does make logical sense. Elias, you know, he is, is a heel. So he doesn't want to be uh, related with Riker in this sense of the word. Given the fact that. Uh, Riker was the one to run away from Omos, but who wouldn't run away from Omos? You know, they thought they were both in the same boat there running away. Elias was just the one that got caught. So, <laughs> a little odd, but I, I see no problem breaking up this tag team, especially if there is to make space for uh, Randy Orton and um, Matt Riddle to be a big part of this Raw Tag Team division going forward. Moving on to our next segment, a, a talk segment now, Alexa's Playground with Reginald. This has become an interview segment, backstage interview segment with Alexa Bliss as the host. Reginald attacked by Baszler in this segment. Baszler calls Lily a stupid doll and leaves. Of course, Alexa Bliss and Shayna Baszler poised to have a match for in the future, possibly at Hell in a Cell, which would make sense. And that way you could add a lot of the fiery elements, given that Hell in a Cell is supposed to be a fiery pay-per-view given the marketing scheme and the way it's been portrayed for the past few years so i have no problem in that and i think they're gonna have a, a fine match i just hope for Shayna baszler's sake that she comes out better for it and, and not worse we all know alexa bliss how great uh, she is in ring former champion and a great storyteller she was with bray wyatt and the fiend bray wyatt and the fiend obviously away from television at the moment and uh, as, as things currently stand, Shayna Baszler can go really, really far up on the card here with a defeat over Alexa Bliss or be pushed back down to the bottom uh, where she has no place really standing given the fact that how successful she was on NXT and how we all know how great she can be in the ring, uh, how dominant she could be in the ring, Shayna Baszler, and how real and legitimate it feels from that standpoint. Uh, I, I think that it can go 
pull her up to the top or push her all the way down to the bottom this match and sort of a do or die moment for Shayna Baszler and, and honestly it would be a great it's a great gauge on where WWE views Shayna Baszler at this point in her career with the WWE. Moving on to our main event for this episode of Monday Night Raw, Kofi Kingston versus Drew McIntyre. The winner faces Bobby Lashley at Hell in a Cell for the WWE Championship. And uh, this was a fun match, a real, real fun match. Uh, if Bobby Lashley or MVP got involved in this match, they both would have been suspended for 90 days without pay. Kofi uh, off to a hot start, but down by strong chops from McIntyre. Both sent to the outside, but Kofi air sits on McIntyre. That's the only way I could best describe that move from Kofi Kingston. Bobby Lashley looking on backstage with MVP and his plentiful woman. Uh, all the women that MVP brings for Bobby Lashley each week. Uh, Jimmy Smith with a great quote on commentary. Uh, quote, it's, it's not the mountain that stops you, it's the pebble in your shoe. I'm going to use that more often because that was a fantastic quote there from Jimmy Swift Smith. Outside the ring, once again, Kofi Kingston dumped over the barricade. Uh, back inside the ring, SOS reversed into a spinning Future Shock DDT. Kingston thrown off the top rope after McIntyre was hung up. Another great spot in this match. Trouble in Paradise connects after a Claymore was reversed. McIntyre able to break up the pin attempt with a rope break. Claymore connects after Kofi fails to uh, connect from the top rope. And McIntyre picks up the win and will face Bobby Lashley at Hell in a Cell for the WWE Championship once again at a pay-per-view. And it, it, this is the third pay-per-view in a row where Bobby Lashley and McIntyre faced off. What's at WrestleMania in the triple threat match at WrestleMania Backlash, including Braun Strowman. And now, of course, at... Uh, Hell in a Cell. I almost called it WrestleMania Hell in a Cell. I should slap myself in the face for that. But <laughs> now that Hell in a Cell, uh, Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre once again. They had a story there with Kofi Kingston. They really did. But I think looking at this match from a, a positive light, this was a great match. Uh, see, now, this is the awesome matches WWE can have when no one runs in and no one interferes. When you just have a one on one match. And it, it just goes normal to plan. They tell a full story from beginning to end. No interference from the outside. Very, very, very good match. Probably one of the best matches McIntyre has had on Raw in a, in a long time. I think this is the better than the match that he had with Keith Lee uh, a while back in a few more matches there. I think this is a really, really solid match for McIntyre. And uh, this is probably the best match he had since he won the WWE Championship again from Orton on that episode of, of Raw. Also, the match he had against Sheamus as well. And McIntyre does put on a show on Monday nights. And uh, yes, there was their story to tell with Kofi Kingston to have a match against Bobby Lashley there. 100%. 100%. Should, do I think they should have gone in that direction? Probably. Yeah, I think they definitely should have gone that direction and then have a, a new star come in for SummerSlam. Have McIntyre go off and tell his own story once again. He's McIntyre's consistently going after the WWE Championship. And is there a problem with that? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Usually I say there's a problem with that when someone's always going for gold and always gold hungry. But WWE was looking for their next main event star. They found and made their own main event star throughout the pandemic with Drew McIntyre. He earned his way through that pandemic. He was a top star and I will he will never ever ever lose that respect from me. Because he did something that was probably the most difficult thing to do in pro wrestling. And that was get over in front of no fans in a global pandemic. He was the face of that. 
and he carried it all the way through. I give him a ton of credit in the world for that, but I think his time is up with the WWE Championship at the moment. Give him six months, you know, and then get him back into the title picture, and I think he'll be fine. But he sort of hasn't fallen out of that lust for the WWE Championship yet, which is kind of getting stale for McIntyre. Let someone else get into the picture, let Kofi get into the picture, and then bring in a new star for SummerSlam. Keith Lee can get back into the picture for SummerSlam. Anybody, anybody. If Daniel Bryan signs back with the WWE, you can get him for the picture for SummerSlam. Uh, Edge, get into the picture for SummerSlam against Bobby Lashley. Anything, anything I would be happy with. With, you know, but Drew McIntyre once again now here at Hell in a Cell, and it's not even like it's a rubber match. He's lost these past two matches between Braun Stro- between excuse me, Bobby Lashley, and now he gets another opportunity at it. Yes, technically he earned it versus this match with Kofi Kingston. So from from a storyline pers- perspective, it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make an emotional investment sense because we know we already put in so much emotional emphasis into Drew McIntyre. We, uh, there's no way that he gets this title at Hell in a Cell, but there was a decent shot that. Kofi Kingston, we could have put some emotional investment there. And even if he loses, then we know we were going to get a good match out of it between Kingston and Lashley. So a lot to unpack here. I had a full page of notes in my notebook as well for uh, an episode of, of Raw. And, um, well, not an episode of Raw, but for a single match in an episode of Raw. I haven't had that in a long time. I don't think I've ever, ever had a full page of notes for, for a match on Monday Night Raw. I've had it for AEW, had it for SmackDown, and, and never for an episode of, of Monday Night Raw. So, and that's how you know it was a good match. Even though the outcome might have not been what everybody wanted, it still was a decent match, and you can't really take that away from them. The main event between Kofi Kingston and Drew McIntyre, that really took uh, the cake for me. A little odd between Elias and Riker there. The star of the show definitely dragged with Charlotte Flair and Nikki Cross and uh, that whole fiasco. But RK Bro is still going to be on the top of the list for me. And the Mason T-Bar did also put on a good performance. I was just really also mad to see how Sheamus can't win as the... You know, as the United States champion, it just it bothers me to no end on why they, they even go in that direction. But the if the Kofi this this show could be a D plus if it wasn't for uh, the the main event and if it wasn't for RK Bro, they could we could be ending up in the D's here at this point with Monday Night Raw. But either way, oh, also I have to remember to talk about Jimmy Smith here uh, makes his debut as the play by play announcer for Monday Night Raw, uh, replacing Adnan Verk, who had a tough time of. of working into the WWE mindset and WWE uh, attitude and culture of, of the world of professional wrestling. You're still calling uh, pro wrestling like it was a baseball game on television, which is very, very odd. But Jimmy Smith, per- absolute perfect fit. I don't think they could have found a better guy. Uh, he has fantastic insight. Fantastic insight. You remember I did the episode of the Daily uh, GDT podcast talking about creating the best uh, broadcaster ever by having five key attributes, insight being one of them. Jimmy Smith, his insight is second to none. I think he's he's very very good. He rivals Matt Stryker from that standpoint. Stryker just does it in a more personable way. If you take the over under on Jimmy Smith and uh, compare it to Adam Verk, Adam Verk, what he lasts five weeks, six weeks, I hundred un- undoubtedly you take the over on that one. I think he can hold this job for quite some time. Jimmy Smith. Uh, good on him. Good on him for jumping into the WWE world because it's not easy. It's not easy if you've been out of it for a long time or you're brand new to it, like Adnan Verk was. Uh, he he's a you could tell he's a pro wrestling fan. He knows what he's talking about, and also being in the world of combat sports in the past, he knows how to build things as well. So I'll give him a ton of credit. He had a, a fantastic first week. Let's see if he can build it over to the second week. It, it feels like from from this perspective, compared to how it was at Verk. 
Graves and Saxton were carrying Verk through the show. Uh, Graves and and Saxon were supplemental to Jimmy Smith on uh, on this show. They were, they were all kind of on the same level, and Smith obviously a little bit higher on the play by play perspective, but they're all kind of equals. Where when it came down to Verk, Saxton, and Graves, Verk was way on the bottom, and Saxton and Graves are pulling him along throughout uh, the episodes of Monday Night Raw. Nothing bad on Verk. He does fantastic on MLB Network. He does fantastic everywhere else he goes. It's just sometimes it's tough to jump into the world of professional wrestling like that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, going to be talking about Randy Orton and why he is both the best and the worst for the WWE at the moment. So stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day on Pro Wrestling History, on June 1st, 2010, Wade Barrett won the first season of NXT. Since then, Barrett would lead the Nexus faction, win the King of the Ring, and become a five-time Intercontinental Champion. Also had a fantastic gimmick as uh, he was Bad News Barrett and would go up and down on that crane every time he had bad news. I remember that one episode of Monday Night Raw where he would go up and down so many times that the crane actually broke and he cut a promo with the crane at the bottom saying, I thought I'd go down to your level and see how disgusting you are after the all those segments. So great job on Wade Barrett there. That always sticks out of my mind. When I think of him now, he's seen on NXT as a fantastic, fantastic color commentator. I would put him at number two right now behind. Ah, number two. I think he's tied for number two with Corey Graves, and they're both behind Pat McAfee, if I had to give a ranking there. All right. I'm going to talk about Randy Orton for a little bit and why he is both the best and the worst for the WWE at the moment. You might be saying, Jaden, why do you think Randy Orton's the worst? Well, I might be saying that more of in a joking sense, but I do have a, a, a light that I do want to cast on not only Randy Orton, but the WWE as a whole, and it's mostly set on WWE as a whole. But let's start off with the obvious first. Randy Orton is one of the best, if not the best, at the WWE. Uh, Randy Orton has kept himself at the forefront of viewers' attention on a show that is well in need of something to emotionally invest in. His talent is off the charts. He's always over. Uh, no one bats an eye when he's WWE Champion because he deserves it for all he's done for the WWE year in and year out, barely taking any time off ev- ever, ever. Uh, you know, John Cena, he's taken a considerable amount of time off away from pro wrestling. Randy Orton has not. He's also a solid ambassador of the WWE. In a different light than Cena in The Miz when it comes down to being an ambassador. Uh, But I think in his own way, where his on-camera and his social media presence mingle very, very well. Uh, We see it when he's talking with NXT talent, when things that are out of kayfabe in the sense of leg slaps and stuff like that. We've also seen it with Randy Orton as well, talking with uh, Soulja Boy. Remember that whole fiasco with Soulja Boy? I never thought I was going to be talking about Soldier Boy then, and I never thought I'd be talking about Soldier Boy now, but here I am. I, with that whole interaction that they had and how Randy Orton says that he, he couldn't stand toe-to-toe with anybody, Soldier Boy couldn't, and uh, he, he, he did a great job on social media defending the WWE name. A fantastic job from Randy Orton. I pray for one day that we see John Cena versus Orton on a, a one-last-time match for Ric Flair's uh, record championship reign. Randy Orton's probably going to go down top 10 all-time in the WWE. I can go on and on. And recently, the worst has come out of Randy Orton. But it's not really his fault. It might be his fault for being so good. 
But that, that, that is some cause and effect there. So I, I say this almost jokingly that Randy Orton is the worst. And that he's been great for the WWE as a whole. Randy Orton is the worst because of him working the great legend killer gimmick once again. And proving to all these legends that he worked with throughout that gimmick that those legends still got it. And allowing them to continue to pursue a career in pro wrestling outside of the WWE. When I say this, we look at The Big Show. When I say this, we look at Christian, who's now Christian Cage. When I say this, we look at Matt Hardy. When I say this, we look at Mark Henry. All making their way to AEW after working small storylines with Orton on Raw throughout the pandemic. We saw Christian Cage work a story with Randy Orton where we saw him get his head kicked off and everything like that. So it, 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 there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to take in there. And obviously all coincidence. Obviously all coincidence. But for now, AEW to get four big names from working small storylines with Randy Orton in the WWE, it, it, it agrees with the point where Randy Orton has was, was so good in these storylines that it, the worst ended up coming out of the WWE where uh, their great storytelling and not having these four under contract uh, allowed them to go on and do bigger, better things with AEW. And on a more serious note, it's a constant reminder that WWE's main roster loves, loves to hold on to the past. In Orton's case, it's not terrible, given the fact that, yes, he is from, quote, I guess you would call the past, you know, he's been around since the 2000s, and now we're in the, the 2020s. And uh, it, it's not terrible, given the fact that he's helping to get younger talent over. Uh, he helped with Drew McIntyre throughout that whole summer in the ambulance match and the Hell in a Cell match and the match on Raw and everything that they did against each other in that, in that whole story. That was great. That was great. Orton did a great job working with McIntyre. And now he's doing a fantastic job working with Riddle. I'm just talking from a more recent sense. I know he's even done more in the past. But even from a more recent sense, Randy Orton's always ready to get back. He's helping Riddle now get over at the moment. Over might not even be the best word here. He's given Riddle the stamp of approval. And the Randy Orton stamp of approval is a pretty good stamp to have if you're uh, a professional wrestler. So uh, We even see it nowadays with, with Lashley and McIntyre having another match. You know, holding on to uh, what they've been doing since Elimination Chamber. Telling a, a pretty extensive story that the story just doesn't seem to have a beginning, middle, or... Well, it had a beginning with uh, with Bobby Lashley winning that championship. But it doesn't really have a middle or end. You know, what's, what's the climax of this story? Is it going to finally end at Hell in a Cell? Proving that McIntyre can't do it, can't get over the hump? And if you go in the other direction instead, and we go with Kofi Kingston... You're still holding on to the past because Kofi Kingston has been around for so long and already had that WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35. And yes, would it be a fresher face to bring to the picture? Sure, but not the freshest face. You know, there's a plenty of guys out there that would beg for a WWE Championship opportunity that we all know will never, ever reach that point. So I guess my point there is kind of confirmed with every way you look at it, you know. Either way, with Randy Orton, when it comes down to it, He's the best thing on Raw right now. RK-Bro, undoubtedly, the best thing on Raw right now. That I live and die for RK-Bro because they're just telling fantastic stories. They're two guys that go together very, very, very well and Randy Orton and Riddle because of sort of that yin and yang effect. But you also see a little bit of Riddle 
uh, it's a little bit of Orton in the past, where the younger Randy Orton, inside of Riddle, where it currently stands. Will Riddle ever turn fully heel? That's a great question that we have to ask. It, obviously, Randy Orton's not going to go to Riddle's level, but he's more like a father figure in that way, shape, or form. It's great. It's great. It's everything you would ever want in a pairing of two people between Orton and Riddle. And I couldn't ask for anything more from what they've been doing from this point and how they're not going for the championship yet. That's great. They're, they're telling a great story with the New Day. It's a fantastic tag team to do it with because they've done it in the past where you, they're not always going for the championship even though they've gotten the championship uh, infinite times in the past. A former 11-time uh, WWE World Tag Team Champions. So it, it, they're telling a great story. They're telling a great story. And I can't see where it takes it to the next step. And it's all because Randy Orton is willing to take his legacy and what he's done and use it to help boost up other people. But almost so much so that he's been boosting up the people that are now gaining and continuing their careers for other companies, which is kind of odd, which is kind of not what you want to see if you're the WWE. Where it's like, oh, you did so well that now Christian Cage is a number one contender, is a top contender in AEW. What's going on? Big Show and Mark Henry are extending their broadcasting career in AEW. Matt Hardy is, is aligning himself with great factions and creating his, even his own faction in, in AEW. What's going on, Randy Orton? <laughs> you're, you're the breeding ground for AEW. And it's kind of hilarious, but uh, either way, Randy Orton has, has sit at the top for me, and uh, he will continue to sit at the top. I hope for Orton's sake we see him see it through to one big final match between Cena and himself at Mania, possibly at Mania 39 or 40. Whether he comes out on top or not, that's a completely different story. In my head, it probably will go to Cena, given he's a Mount Rushmore type guy. Randy Orton, is he Mount Rushmore material? Yeah, probably. It depends on what type of Mount Rushmore you're making. Uh, but it's really tough to break into that, given it's only four spots. It's really, really tough to break into that. And I don't even have Stone Cold on my Mount Rushmore. Wait till July 4th. That's when I'm giving my Mount Rushmore. And uh, you'll, you'll be surprised then. Yeah, but uh, either way, Randy Orton, best and worst in the WWE right now. But for obviously joking reasons when I say the worst. All right, looking on to NXT tonight. I'm giving you a small preview in the most important match on this on this card. Kyle O'Reilly versus Johnny Gargano versus Pete Dunne in a triple threat match. Winner faces Karrion Cross at NXT TakeOver in your house for the NXT Championship. Should be a fun match. My money's on Gargano in this one. We saw the interaction between Karrion Cross and Austin Theory when they had when they had their match and when Karrion Cross and Gargano went face to face, I felt it through the screen. I felt it through the screen right then and there. I even talked about it on this podcast. So, uh, I, I can't wait for that match to happen. So that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.